Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Pater! Pater! Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pater, a Penn State football show. Along with former Penn State and NFL quarterback Matt McGloin, I'm Tom Hannafin. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, Funk Brewing, the official craft beer partner of Pater. We're big fans of Funk Citrus IPA and their Silent Disco IPA, but be sure to also check out their Cranberry Sour Power Ale, the 365 Birthday IPA, and the Oatmeal Cookie Golden Ale. Funk has so many great beers to choose from at their tap rooms in Emmaus, Elizabethtown, and York in Pennsylvania. You can find a variety of Funk Brewing beers at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Also, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and of course, the college football bowl season head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit make sure to use the promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to receive your rewards Paydirt is presented by BetOnline, where the game starts. Also, we invite you to head to shop.believe.com, that's shop.b-l-e-a-v.com, and search Paydirt for our two t-shirts. One is the official show logo over the heart. It comes in white, navy blue, and black, and the other is a navy blue t-shirt. It has the Paydirt wordmark over the heart, and on the back, circa the 2012 Penn State football season, it has Matt McGloin's name and number. Again, head to shop.believe.com, that's shop.b-l-e-a-v.com, and search Paydirt for our two t-shirts. I want to thank you all for tuning in on ESPN Radio State College as well as checking out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network. It is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're thrilled to have back on the show former Penn State quarterback, Coach Charlie Fisher, he has been everywhere in the college ranks from a head coach to a position coach, you name it, he has done it. And the reason that we're having Coach Fisher back on this episode is just to take a look at the evolution of college football coaching as a whole. Uh, Matt McGloin and I earlier on this week were texting about the news that came out that uh, apparently a former University of Miami star pro football Hall of Famer Ed Reed is about to become the head coach at Bethune-Cookman. And this is kind of following in the path of what Deion Sanders just got done at Jackson State and HBCU and is now moving on to the University of Colorado. And Fish, you know, we wanted to have you on here because this just seems like a wave of what's happening in college coaching that I don't think anybody's really surprised to hear that there's, quote, CEOs of college football teams. You know, you look at Dabo Swinney and you look at James Franklin at Penn State. That comparison has been made quite a few times. But to get the guy who is a star former player with next to no coaching experience or no coaching experience and already jumping the ladder and going all the way to a head coaching spot, there's just something about it that it seems like this is the way things are trending. Um, when you saw the initial news about Ed Reed, what was your reaction? Well, first of all, with Bethune Cookman's program, I would say good luck to Ed Reed because he's going to need it. Uh, you know, they've 
it's not to say he can't do a great job there, but uh, you know, the, the proofs in the pudding, they haven't been very good for a long, long time, but uh, you know, it, it saddens me in a sense as a, as a, you know, I don't want to say a life, a lifelong coach 40 years and seeing the importance of working your way up the ladder. And that's nothing taken away from Ed Reed. I call plays against Ed Reed when he's in Miami. He's a great player. Uh, obviously, Matt, you probably played against him in the NFL there. We all know what Ed Reed is as a, as a person. And I think as, as a player, remains to be seen what he'll do as a coach. Uh, but I do, I am a big believer in like, I want to say earning your way because Ed Reed was a great player. And maybe he can be a great CEO. I just got done working for a CEO at Arizona State, Herm Edwards. That's what he was. You know, I'm not going to make any apologies for it. That's what he was. He wasn't an X and O guy. Um, you know, then that's just the way it was. We understood that and we knew what our job was. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said about the guys that worked their way up the business. I was watching Kansas last night and you know, I got so much respect for Lance Leipold for what he's done. I mean, he got won six national championships at Division three. And I always said if I was ever an AD, which I'm not going to be at this stage in my career, but if I was and the job was open, I would go hire a guy that has proven to win at every level. Because if you can win it more in one place at a different level, you can win anywhere. Jerry Kill. A lot of people don't, you know, he's winning at New Mexico State for crying out loud. Well, why is that, coach? Well, he wanted, he wanted uh, where was it, Emporia State when he started. He wanted Northern Illinois. He was good at Minnesota. I mean, you give me your thoughts, but I can tell you there, there's proof in a guy that's done it at multiple places. When you use the phrase CEO of a college football program, can you elaborate on the the minutia, the nitty gritty of what that means in regards to somebody like James Franklin, somebody like Herm Edwards or Dabo Swinney or uh, hell, you can go back to Steve Spurrier. He was right. somebody who was playing golf more often than he was actually at the facility, it seemed at times. Yeah, that, that's a that's a broad based term, a CEO. Um Certainly a guy oversees the program. I, when I think CEO in college football, I think more recruiting, uh, you know, from that standpoint, that's how I think of it. I don't think of it in any terms of XOs. And, I, and I'll tell you, to be honest with you, uh, Matt and Tom, I think that the social media revolution has had a lot to do with this. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, recruiting now is – Social media, it's swag time. It's, you know, how many good looking pictures can we get of a kid when he comes on a visit? Uh, now it's NLI money. Uh, you know, there's so many different factors, even Matt, than when you came out, uh, which wasn't that long ago. And for me, when I look over the, the, the vision that I have, as I think how the game has changed in the 40 years that when I started in the business as a coach and when I ended. So, Totally different, uh, and I think this is a this is not a one time thing. Now this is going to be a revolutionary thing. I think you're going to see more and more of this in our game. Matt, uh, you've been on the record on this podcast talking about Joe Paterno, and you meant this in the best way possible. Is that you learn more about life from Joe at times than you did about football? I think that's an exact quote. Um, would you categorize Joe as a quote CEO, or was he? you know, kind of a do it all. Well, I think one of the things that Joe did so well is that, you know, as the years went on, you know, he transitioned from that coach to more of that leader CEO role with 
you know, the stage he was with his, in his career. Now, obviously, 2008, 9, 10, and 11, you know, Joe wasn't the X's and O's type coach. You know, he was making sure that you were going to class, you know, you're doing everything you could to be a great student athlete, be involved in your community, uh, you know, talk to you. You know what I mean? Like, that's the coach he became. And, you know, Coach Fish, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, too. To this day, everywhere I've been, he's the only coach that on the field, when he went to say something, the whole practice stopped. Offense, defense, special teams, everybody stopped and listened to what Joe had to say. You just you, you knew how powerful those words were and how important those words were. Um, now, Coach Fish. You know, for somebody like yourself who started their career in 1982 at, at Eastern Kentucky as a graduate assistant, it took you 11 years to become a head coach at West Georgia in 93, mm -hmm. where you were for five years. There was a, correct me if I'm wrong, 19-year gap between West Georgia and Western Illinois before you yeah. became, became a head coach again. Yeah. Now, like, put yourself back, you know, in, in that coaching world. Do you think, like, seeing things like this happen, guys jumping other guys for positions maybe they haven't earned yet in mm -hmm. those coaching ranks. Do you think that like, do you think coaches would be like, well, I don't want to get into the coaching world for fear that I'm going to bust my butt day in and day out, have, you know, have earned that opportunity just to know that I, 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 there's always that risk of getting jumped by somebody who doesn't deserve it just because they can be a name. Well, there, there's a lot of truth to that. I think, you know, the, the guys are the purest in the coaching world. Um, you know, they coach because they love coaching. They love kids. Uh, it's not necessarily the title now that eventually, sure, the title may come with it. Uh, you know, I think the great coaches coach for the relationship of the players to teach the game. Certainly, yes, we make a living. And, and uh, you know, I was fortunate to be a lot of places that, 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 that I was able to secure a good living and, and I'm very blessed that way. But, uh, you know, I started out, Matt and Tom, I started out in NAI school. I actually started in high school for a year. But uh, when I got to Eastern Kentucky as a GA and I held a cord for crying out loud, that was my first job. Hold Coach Roy Kidd's cord and stay out of his way if he got mad, you know, and hold the cord so he didn't fall. But, uh, you know, the coaching profession's changed a lot. Number one, salaries have changed. You know, the influx of TV money, you call it whatever, whatever you want, but it's changed why people want to coach, right? I mean, let's get down to it. You know, people want to coach now, some of them, because they know you make a good living doing it. And, and I understand that. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the guys that do it the best are still the guys that are in it for all the right reasons. And, and it's relationships with the players. And it's, it's the, obviously the thrill of competition. That, that never goes away. We always miss that when we walk away from the game, right, Matt? You know, that's that's part of it. And, and uh, we love that side. But I do think I do think in college football, the one problem we have is, uh, you know, when I was at Arizona State, if we had a full staff meeting and this is everybody in it that, that had some connection to the program, there may be 50 people in there. And, uh, you know, we would have maybe 15 on 15, 18 people in offensive meetings. And there's just not there's only 10 full time jobs. So there's not enough jobs to you know supply and demand. Right. Everybody wants in, but there's only so many full-time jobs. Now, they've changed this a lot with analysts and those type of things, and those guys are well-paid, and they can coach now. When I left Arizona State, you couldn't. An analyst couldn't coach, but now I guess the, the rule is changing to where they can work with players on the field. So you're, you're seeing changes. Matt, you think about your time with the Raiders. You know, 
there, there's probably, I'm going to guess, probably at least 20, 20 coaches on the field. You know, most position groups got two or three coaches in the NFL, right? They had quality control guys. You had, you know, um, assistant offensive line coach. Yeah, there were certainly not those positional coach titles, right. but they were still a full-time coach that played a huge role right. in helping us succeed day in and day out, game in and game out. Now, you mentioned Arizona State and, and how Herm Edwards was that CEO-type coach, you know, back in, you know, 2018, 2019 when you were there. The, the, when I see that, like, the head coach is the CEO, right, offensive coordinator is the head coach of the offense defensive right. coordinator is head coach of the defense right there and i've never been a part of that head coach has always been the head coach of teams that i was on so this is where the message came from right do you think that players now get mixed messages or different messages because they're hearing things from the head coach or now they're hearing things from their defensive coordinator or head coach you think that happens no oh, i do think that happens and i was a part of it because in in most position rooms now even in college football matt and and you know you live this um there's usually at least two i had an assistant wideout coach then i had a young guy that was helping the wideouts so my, my whole thing was i didn't want mixed messaging sent to the players you know, I want one voice. And quite honestly, I always felt like I, I don't need an assistant to coach these guys. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I understand the way the game's going, but I never felt like that was the case. I think the very best, you know, from when when Billy was at Penn State, you know, Billy was the Belichick tree. So it was, a you know, hey, this is the one voice and that's it. Yeah. Period. Yeah. I don't think that was quite the case for me at Arizona State. I think there were multiple voices in there. Herm certainly had a strong voice, but uh, I, I think it was a little bit different. You know, Bill being with his background, Belichick, the messaging goes through Bill O'Brien, period. And, and, and what was good about that, whether you liked it or not, everybody understand the rules of the game, right? And, and you don't cross that line. And that's a respect for the head coach. Um, I, you know, I was a head coach for seven years. I never – remotely wanted to be considered a CEO. I was a head football coach. I was a leader of men. I had an offensive background. I never wanted to lose my connection with the offense, so to speak. It doesn't mean I called every play, but I didn't want to lose that connection. And I didn't want to lose the connection with my players just by being a CEO. When we were on a practice field, I wanted my presence felt in a good way. Right. So I always like, it makes me nervous when people say CEO, yeah. You know, I I just never wanted to be looked at like, you know, I'm a football coach for crying out loud. You know, CEO guys run a force, uh, Fortune 500 uh, company. You know, I mean, let's you know, we're not like Bill used to say, you know, we're not performing brain surgery here. We're we're playing football, you know. So <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, again, like, you know, we were just talking about Joe Paterno as being a CEO at one point. The latter part of his career it is no slight on any one of these guys. A lot of them yeah, have had a tremendous amount of success. It's the way that it seems the profession is turning fish is that, you know, we talked about Deion Sanders. We talked about Ed Reed and I'll, I'll give credit to Deion Sanders. He knows his strengths. And he knows his weaknesses. The staff that he's brought with him to Colorado is exceptional. And I, I'm very curious to see what Ed Reed does at Bethune Cookman. They understand that they have to surround themselves with very, mm -hmm. very good position coaches and coordinators. And then 
even James Franklin at Penn State, which is what we're all about. James Franklin in his contract extension made sure that he got more money, obviously for the program, for himself, for a variety of different things in terms of recruiting. But a big thing was being able to get more money to retain assistants and also have a bigger staff. So it's identifying those guys. Hell, I look at what Clemson was running with Dabo Swinney at the head and Brent Venables in my opinion, the best defensive coordinator in the last 20 years in college football, Mm -hmm. they paid him handsomely for a very long time. And eventually he's recently decided to break out on his own at Oklahoma. But Dabo Swinney understood that he's a used car salesman and his definition of NIL is obviously very different and skewed and delusional, but he is, (laughs) he is very much interested in like, Oh, I've got the best DC in the world. I'm going to keep him and he could recruit his butt off. And you saw the product on the field, a lot of national titles for Clemson. So it just, I don't know, Fish, it just seems like the, the profession is going in a way that it matters more if you can recruit than if you can actually handle anything come game day. What do you yeah, think? I, I think one of the things that's important when you when you hire a coordinator, if if college football is going that way, that way, which I would agree it is, and I saw that change happen over the years, and, and quite honestly, when I was, uh, when I finished at Arizona State and was let go, uh, you know, they, they went with a different, much different direction with a much younger, uh, less experienced coach. No offense to him. That's just the way the profession went. It's just I understood that. Did I like it? Not at no, but that's the way it goes. That's that's the direction they elected to go. But I do think that as a head football coach, you, you can never, ever forget the importance of having some guys on your on your staff that understand the game and understand teaching the fundamentals of the game. And, and experience goes a long way. I, I, listen, I get it. I love the young guys. I, I coach a lot of young guys that are doing great things now in college football. Ty Howell's on the staff at Penn State. I hired Ty Howell. And he was a terrific young coach, and he's a terrific coach at Penn State. Um, so I, I get that. I, what, what you can't get away from, to have the best staff possible, you cannot get away from having guys uh, that, that can – teach the game. And when I was a young coach, I had, a, I had an older coach tell me this. He said, he said, Charlie, he said, if you ever become a head coach, he said, if you can hire a guy that can both teach the game and recruit, never let him go. If you can hire a guy that can recruit, try to keep him. If you hire a guy that can coach the game, try to keep him. But when you find those guys that can do both, and there's some out there that can, that's when you invest in those guys and you don't let them go. And you have to find that balance in the staff of guys that can do everything. But I think, Matt, you you know, Matt, you're not that far removed from being a player. And players know know when a guy doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and you can't BS the players. And I always felt like the best trait of any assistant is when, uh, like, a player asks you a question and you don't know, tell him you don't know. Yeah. But hey, I'll get you the answer. That's it. I'll get you the answer as soon as possible. Now, Matt, you can weigh in on that. You just want to be told the truth. That's it. You know what I mean? I I don't want. There can't be gray. Right. Right. So I can't. I, I can't leave a film session. I can't leave a quarterback or an offensive meeting room and walk out the door and then walk out into the field. And then look around as if it's, I don't know what I'm doing, right? right? Because it's not just me and you that, that sees that it's the 50 guys 
that are part of our offense. And it's the 50 guys that are part of our defense and the coaching staff. And it's everybody out there that it says like, well, the quarterback has no idea what he's doing. What's well, because I don't know what I'm doing. It's because I didn't get an answer. This right. is the question that I asked earlier that day in that offensive meeting room or in the, or in the, the quarterback room. That's why I don't know what's right. going on. I never wanted to feel that. I always wanted to have an answer for somebody that offensive lineman that came off the mirror or, or a running back or a tight end or a wide receiver. Hey, Matt, which way am I going here? What, what, right. am, I doing? what am I doing here? You know what? I, and, and there's nothing wrong with just breaking the huddle and somebody's, somebody's like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. All right, hang on. Let's stop. Everybody huddle up for a second. I'd rather take the time right. and figure it out. Right. Cause there's the, and you know that like when you get on the practice field, there's no wasted time. There's no wasted minutes. There's no wasted plays because we, you don't have the time to do it, especially throughout the course of a game week. Right. Everything is, you know, fast paced. Here we go. Everything is well prepared and, and, um, and, and ready to go. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, the best thing about, you know, some of the best coaches that I've been around, it's just the communication aspect of it. Right. Yeah, it's just it's having that relationship where you, you can coach. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Right. Man, I don't know what that is right now, but hang on. Let, let me ask the OC. Let me let me ask the head guy here and I'm going to get an answer for you. And we're going to figure this out. And if you don't, it's like, all right, well, we'll come back to that another day. You know what I mean? It's just that mm-hmm. like it's it's, you know, it's yes or no. Um, Are you a fan of rivalries? Are you a fan of smack talk? Do you like to stand out from the crowd at tailgates? If so, head over to Smack Apparel and check out what their team is geared up for this football season. Their Let There Be White tee is the perfect gear for those famous whiteout games at Beaver Stadium. Or get straight to the point with the worst tee for all the Ohio State haters out there. Smack Apparel makes the gear that'll have everyone asking where you got it. They have the must-have tees for all your teams, including pro football, baseball, basketball every fan is covered head over to their website smackapparel.com and use the promo code paydirt at checkout for 10 percent off again that's smackapparel.com promo code paydirt at checkout why wear boring when you can wear smack are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care then maestro's classic is perfect for you this month is No Shave November, so visit maestrosclassic.com. That's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com all month long. You can get a free beard comb with any purchase of $25 or more. Just use the promo code FREECOMB. That's F-R-E-E-C-O-M-B. Also, a reminder, use our promo code PAYDIRT15, that's PAYDIRT15, at checkout for 15% off your order. Maestro's classic crafting a better you and don't have too many voices. That That's a big part yeah. of it. You know, especially with that quarterback position, really, you, you just, you want the voice of the coordinator and the voice of the quarterback coach and the voice of the quarterback, which I think is probably the most um, under, I don't want to say not the professional level, but throughout the lower levels and even college football, uh, I never wanted to coach a quarterback without his input. You know, I mean, it didn't matter what level I was coaching, whether it's Matt McGloin at Penn State or Sean McGuire at Western Illinois or Kyle Lillette at Richmond. Like, man, tell me how you feel about this. What do you like? What are you seeing? You know, you've got to have that. And, and that's that way. What they different when I coach wideouts? What are you seeing? What, what What's happening here? Why did you do what you did? And I think you have to give allow players to have ownership in what they do. You know, Bill, Bill would always say that Bill would always be like, we're not playing 
the game. We don't mm-hmm. play. You play. You know, and that was like, I always thought that was awesome. Um, and as you get older and you play more, you realize yes. like that's not common. You know what I mean? For coaches to say that or for coaches to think that because you certainly do come across some some coaches who who are stubborn. And it's kind of like, here's yeah. what we're doing. This is it too bad. Um, let me ask you this question, coach. You know, and obviously because we're seeing more and more of it now, former players becoming head coaches and things like that. Um, how often in your career, you know, have you know, you've been a part of a program where you see a guy and you say, All right, that guy has the potential to be a great coach. Is that something that happens often or 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 very rarely? Oh no, no, you can tell. I mean, for me, as a as a coach, like going through the profession. Uh, you know, I was a head coach at 32 years old, so I was really young, and I, I didn't understand everything it took, but I understand how to how to make it right. So if there was a mistake, I knew how um, how to correct it, and and uh, in a hurry. But you're always, you know, you're always mindful of guys as you go through the profession. You, you can tell guys that kind of I don't want to say have it, but uh, you know, Ty would be a great example. I mean, it, I mean, he had a lot of great factors as a player. I mean, he was a center, he's a really good communicator. Matt, you played with him. So he, you know, he understood all that. And, and he was a coach's son. And his dad was a high school coach. So he was raised in a game in many ways. Now, that doesn't mean your dad has to be a coach for you to be a coach. My dad wasn't a coach, but it does help uh, when you grow up around it. There's no doubt you're always always looking at guys. I mean, I can go, go back, uh, you know, my OC at Western Illinois was a young man that was my GA at Miami, Ohio, before I came to Penn State. So you're always looking for those guys. And, uh, you know, you want great communicators and, and uh, guys that are natural leaders of Ben. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, but you're seeing so there's just it's just a, a totally different feel to the game in many ways, the way it is now. Uh, I mean, it used to be unwritten rule. Uh, you, you didn't coach Division One Power Five football. I mean, generally, to you were at least well in your thirties. Maybe you were forty. You know, I mean, I spent half my career in smaller college football before I got the opportunity to go to NC State. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Wouldn't trade it for anything. But now you see guys twenty-five years old being a position coach at a Penn State or a Pitt or whatever. So be it. That's the way the game's going. I think a lot of that has to do again with the recruiting aspect and, and the way th- things are, have just opened up in a recruiting. What's the difference, you know, being a coach, being a coordinator, being a quarterback coach, being an offensive minded head coach. Um, what, what's the difference in coaching a guy like Sean Clifford this year, who's in his sixth year with the program has played in a lot of games as a quarterback. And now not looking ahead, obviously, you know, Penn State still has a bowl game left to play, but, Looking ahead, you have a guy like Drew Allar, a younger guy who's stepping up to be the next quarterback at Penn State. You dealt with that, Coach Fish, in 2012 and 2013. It's yeah. like myself, who was, who was in their fifth year with the program right. in 2012. And then the next year in 2013, you had Christian Hackenberg in his first year. What was the difference in coaching a, you know, a guy that has been a part of the program, you know, somewhat experienced mm-hmm. guy, to somebody who is – just figuring everything out. Right. That's a great question. I think, you know, trust is one of those things. When you have an experienced player quarterback, you have a, a lot more trust. Now, again, like in your situation, very experienced player, you were learning the system with the rest of us, right, when Billy came in. But still, 
you had played a lot of football and you'd played football five years at Penn State. You were going in your fifth year. So you'd seen a lot of things and you'd played in the big stage. When you have a young player, he hasn't played in that those big moments. So you, you never know quite how they're going to react. I think that's that's one of the things. And, and I think with a younger player, you just have to be you have to be really smart about how much you ask him to do. Uh, if you have an experienced player that's been around, you trust him, you, you know he's going to make most of the good decisions, like Clifford. I mean, if you can't sit there and Sean Clifford's played six years, and if you can't call a play and trust that he's going to make a, the right decision most of the time, you know, hey, we're all in trouble. Let's be real about it. Now, when Drew Aller takes over next year, yeah, he's got a little bit of time under his belt. He doesn't have a start at Penn State, though. And, Matt, you would agree with this. There's a big difference between coming in a game and starting a game. Big difference getting off the bus first or, uh, you know, right. last or just mixed in with everybody else. There's a big difference. That's right. And, and, and I think Drew Aller, I mean, he's a gifted player. I mean, that's not hard to see. Very gifted player, big arm. But there'll be a learning curve for him, just like there was for Matt McGloin when you, when you started. And, you know, anything you do in life, any, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're talking football, but it doesn't matter. Experience plays a factor in your success. Been there, seen it, done it, learned from my mistakes, right? I mean, that's for me as a coach, as, as a coordinator calling plays or a head coach, I'd say, okay, I could recall, okay, seen this before. Don't make that mistake again. Already made this mistake. Don't want to do that again. So there's a lot of value in experience. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think the Penn State's fan bases, they're looking forward to seeing Drew Aller. I don't blame them, you know, but that's taking nothing away from Sean Clifford. He's earned the opportunity. He's done a great job. He's probably one of the more underrated guys in college football. But uh, th th that's the beauty of college football. It's going to turn over and Drew Aller's going to get his chance and everybody's going to get an opportunity to evaluate him and make decisions on how good or how not good he's doing. Beauty of playing quarterback at Penn State, right, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> if anything, Coach Fish, the, the really fascinating thing, you know, we had Keith Conlon on the podcast recently. I thought he had a, an amazingly good observation, he always does, is that recruiting offensive linemen out of high school, in, in Goon's words, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, it's kind of useless at this point because – you're inherently the biggest guy on the field when you're in high school, right. you know, you're a kid, you probably got 50 to a hundred pounds on the guy across from you. And That's maybe right. a couple of times a year you play against a guy who is of similar ability or is going to a similar big school, just like you. It's really not until these guys get to the college level, whichever level that is. And there's a number of them Correct. that you just, dis you discover what they really are. So is, if anything, the way that everything's going with recruiting and especially NIL and the transfer portal, making it more necessary that you have great CEOs who are excellent recruiters, but have outstanding coordinators and assistants who can train, coach, develop, and then identify those guys in the portal that it's like, well, why would I take an 18-year-old when I can get a 20-year-old who I know can do the job? Yeah, the portal's changed the game. I mean, and I don't think it's changed the game for the better for the young high school player and the opportunities because, uh, you know, I don't let's just take Penn State, for instance. I don't know how many portal players they'll take. I'm going to guess it'd be five, maybe somewhere in there. I, I, mean, I might be wrong in that, depending on their needs. 
uh, Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, he's kind of said, man, I don't want portal players. I don't want transfer players. But I think you, you'll you see him change well, in some respect. you see him flip-flop and walk that back pretty soon? Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> I, I mean, you have to – I mean, you have to – let's just say, for instance, if a Matt McGloin, when, say, when you were at Penn State and you were in your third year and you elected to go in the portal, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to look at you differently because I, I got tape of you playing against – maybe Pitt or West Virginia or Indiana. I got valid tape on you playing at the level we're recruiting you to play. I don't have that on a high school kid. So the portal, the portal has shrunk the opportunities for the high school player. You can't, nobody can deny that. I mean, there's no question. I, I I, I work with kids. I hear in my off time, you know, I help train them and they all say the same thing, coach. It's, it's just so much harder. And particularly at the quarterback position, because you usually only take one of those a year. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to my buddies, I might say, well, you, you know, here's a guy I've trained. Would you take a look at him? He said, coach, you know, we're only taking one and we're taking a transfer. Okay. He's out. And that's happening more and more across the board, not just power five football. I mean, we're talking about opportunities at every level for these kids now. And I don't know what the time, you probably know the number, but what, what is the number in the portal now? It's well over a thousand, right? It was well over a thousand. And at this point, the point we're recording this, I believe Penn State's landed two punters and they just got the the cornerback from UNC Storm, yeah, Storm Duck, Duck, which, great, which great is a really name. good pickup. Yeah, great yeah, name. Yeah, and the best name in college football. Storm legitimately Duck. an all ACC corner. So it's he a good is. pickup. He's good. And, and you'd have to think that Penn State's going to take at least one, if not two, receivers out of the portal. That's what they've stated, and they've also talked about uh, maybe an offensive lineman just to right. kind of bolster their ranks. So it, right. there's still a lot of time. It's in, I think the portal closes by sometime in mid-January. Yeah, so absolutely. So, I mean, you'd have to figure that, you know, most teams across the country are taking anywhere from three to seven players in the portal. Some, some take more. Old Miss, Kiffin, he takes a bunch of them. That's just how they operate. But on the average, you'd say five. Well, that's five slots for a high school kid, right? And that adds up over the course of four or five years. So I think it's unfortunate in that respect, but it, it's the way the game is going. And, I, you know, Matt, you can weigh in on this. You know, as a player, would you have liked the portal? You know, uh... So I'm not like it's the, the the portal can be used for good reasons. Like you look at, and we talked about this a few weeks back, like a guy like Christian Veyer, who right, you're not not going to play at Penn State, right, right. But from some of the things that we've seen, you look at the game he played against Rutgers a year ago. Mm-hmm. Did did the job that he had to do. They won. I thought he developed really well and looked pretty good in the spring. Right. So you can see the development there from a young quarterback back like that who still has time left to play and is still has the chance to grow into what can be an every week starter for some division one program. Obviously, Alar made huge strides throughout the summer and throughout training right. camp to, to move ahead of Vayer to become the backup quarterback at Penn State and obviously one day take over as the guy. So for a guy like Vayer to say, All right, well, there is no path for me here out anymore. I need to leave and go somewhere else for a chance and an opportunity. I completely agree Great. with the transfer portal when it comes to something yeah. like that. Now, for me, when it's like I'm only getting, you know, 25 catches a year or I'm not getting enough carries or I'm not getting enough this or I'm not getting enough that, I'm out. I'm looking to the portal. Right. Well, then for me as a coach to say, well, what's the problem at this school that this kid is having? Right. Because I don't want that problem coming to our school <laughs> and and dealing with, you know what I mean? And dealing with Great. the same thing like that. Like I don't need somebody 
complaining about carries or catches or reps or this or that. It is what it is, man. So like that, like, and again, too, like, like all that's talked about a lot in the news are the high profile guys, the top guys in the portal that we see, Hey, so-and-so is going to USC or Texas or Florida. You don't see the guys that go to the portal and then get nothing or have nothing. The grass isn't always greener. No, it's not. That's not talked enough. Like that's not talked about enough when it comes to the transfer portal. I don't think kids understand that enough. Right. Also, and I think too, we talked a little bit about life and playing football and how it relates and how playing football, playing a team sport can apply to whatever you do next in life. What are you learning by about yourself when you know you, you face adversity or you have to battle or you have to compete? Or heck, you got to wait your turn to play. Right. I agree. Trust I agree. The system, believing in yourself, believing in your coaches, trusting your teammates, and just knowing that one day you're going to get your opportunity. A big fish. And as you know, and you coach for 40 years, it's like, are you ready for the opportunity? Yeah. If you're, yeah, not, I, ready for, you're not ready for that opportunity when it presents itself. Yeah, I, I agree with you. you, Matt. And you lived that because you had your ups and downs sure. at Penn State. And I'd say that probably one of the things you're most proud of is you persevered through that. Just kept going. You know? Yeah. And and I think, you know, the way it's going now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, you, again, you, you being an all-knowing sage would know this. Uh, Drake May, the quarterback at UNC, who I think is a terrific young player, watched him last night, manages the pocket, throws a good ball. You, you can tell this kid's got, like, he's he's got it. You know, it just jumps off the screen when you watch him play. But, you know, reported $5 million. Oh, yeah. You know, if he hit the portal. And is this, is this really where we want the game to go? You know, and there's, there's, I, I always would tell a kid, listen, there's something neat about starting your career at UNC or Penn State or wherever it is and finishing your career. You know, like Sam Hartman, I, listen, I, kudos to Sam Hartman. He's had a great career at Wake. I see him move on, but he's built like a, just an incredible legacy at Wake. And I would like to see him finish at Wake. <laughs> just me, but that's the old school me, because I think there's something really neat about that. And, you know, it was reported that he could make more NLI money than he could as a sixth or seventh round draft pick, which is where he's predicted to go in the draft, which I last time I checked, they said Brock Purdy signed for 75000 as the last guy in a draft for the Niners. And if you're making $2 million in NLI money, well, okay, who's – do the math. Who's doing that? Who, who's coming out now? Yeah. It's, at some point you do have to consider the bottom line. And, and I, I don't right. think there's anything wrong with that in all of this, especially for a guy like you mentioned, Hartman is towards the back end of his college career and yep. he's maybe facing the harsh reality of, I might not really play in the NFL. I, I, right. I, I could see him getting a shot. I could see sure. him hanging on for a few years, but, but that could be it. There's nothing wrong with that, but wouldn't you want to try and get as much out of that as you can? And then to the point about Drake May, it's been widely reported, yeah, people were throwing $5 million at him for him to transfer to another school, but he always wanted to go to UNC. That's been the uh, the line that he and his right. family have taken is that he wants to be there. Now, who knows what UNC is doing to make him comfortable on top of that, but he might be gone the second he's eligible to go to the draft. Who knows? Yeah, I'm sure. Know? Yeah, I'm sure that UNC came up with more than an extra pair of sweats for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Mac Brown is <laughs> one of the best CEOs ever. I'll say that as well. And has got a great track record, and he cares about kids, and he cares about UNC, which is great. But 
yeah, you do have to take care of these guys. And then it, it's yeah. something we talked about in the offseason, especially, Matt, where it was like Ryan Day talking about, oh, you need $13 million to maintain your roster. If you're going to have a $5 million quarterback, then the domino effect is you're going to need probably a $3 million left tackle and right tackle. <laughs> and, go, and, and, the, and it just keeps going from there. It's just the tip of the iceberg. It's it insane. Sounds like the uh, salary cap in the NFL, right, Matt? It's, it is. It's the same I thing. I don't know what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be honest with you, it's just. Uh, well, I, you know, the, you know, the one thing, and I, and I want to clarify, that's uh, I'm not, I love Sam Hartman. I think what he, what he's meant to the game and what he's done, what he's overcome. You know, there's a, there's a lot of light. I love Sam not taking a shot at him by any means. I understand it. That's the, that's the game. Uh, I, I just, with the old school traditionalist of me, you know, I like to see great players finish where they started. That's just me. It doesn't make me right by any means. There's a lot of people say, Hey coach, you need to get with the game. That's not the way it goes anymore. And I get that, but I do think there's a lot to be said for a guy that starts and finishes his career at a place. Uh, you don't see it much in pro football. Uh, you know, and I think that's sad, you know, it's the way, not the way it used to be, but I, I get it. Times change. It's part of it, you know, yeah. but uh, okay. doesn't make it right. And it doesn't make it better. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that's changing and we're all just kind of rolling with it. Coach, we appreciate you coming back mm -hmm. on the show. We could literally talk about this for four hours, but uh, we do have our time slot. So thank you to ESPN Radio State College yeah. for hosting this conversation. Uh, we appreciate you yeah. coming on, Coach, and enjoy the Rose Bowl game coming up this Monday, Penn State versus. Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on that, but I will say this where I go off the air. I think that that is, if not the best, it's certainly in the top three matchups in the bowl season agreed uh, and and i think it's going to be a fantastic game i coached against utah i know what they are all about i think penn state's got a terrific young team that this is could set the stage for them next year so th this would be a marquee game in a lot of ways and i'll tell you this matt i love the quarterback for utah cam rising he's my kind of guy he's a good player they're gonna have their hands full absolutely should be a good one guys let's do it again we'll talk some quarterback play some guys coming out in the draft when we get down the road in the spring. Sounds good. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back on ESPN Radio State College on Mondays and Fridays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern for the remainder of the Penn State football season. If you want to check out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at ESPN Radio 1037 at QB 11 and at Tom Hannafin. Pater is presented by Bet Online and by Funk Brewing. Thanks again, everyone, and join us next week for more Pater. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.